You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So we have Kevin Bailey, a producer and actor who has produced shows like Anne on Broadway and acted in the original Broadway show of Annie Get Your Gun. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Mason. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great today here in lovely, sunny California. Sounds nice to be there. <laughs> it is. Would you like to tell how you got to where you are now? Uh, the brief version, I'll skip uh, the, the formative years growing up in Rochester, New York, and uh, jump to the more professional years. Um, although I did go all the way through college, a uh, wonderful school, not too far from where you, are, where you are in Western Michigan, Hope College, uh, which is south of Grand Rapids, and then on to graduate school at UVA to get my MFA. And I would say the, the part of that that leads to where I am now is simply that all of the education and inherent working in theater for seven years of academia, you know, learning box office, learning scenic design, uh, as well as what, you know, my profession was, was uh, chosen actor. Um, In the small school programs, you have to do it all, including produce the plays that you're mounting in college. Uh, So that, that led to my my early desire in my 20s to not only be an actor, but basically produce the plays that I saw myself fit to star. And it's like, I want to be in this play. So, you know, like Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland of yours, I was like, well, let's get a barn and do a play. And uh, so I became my own producer by default, I guess. Um, and I never looked back. I produced my first show in my mid-20s, um, small off, uh, off, off, off Broadway show um, with a theater company I was involved with there for years. And uh, we then that went well. So we sort of formed as a company and, you know, became actors and producers outright. And uh, with my husband and producing partner, we started producing our own plays then, plays that he was writing. And uh, that started by my mid-late 20s. So now here I am in my late 50s and I find myself having been a producer for the last 30 years. So I'm not as familiar with what a producer does. Uh So could you explain what your job description is? Sure. Um, And I I would say, you know, you have the commercial theater. uh, By that, we would know Broadway, your regional theaters uh, throughout the country, certainly national tours that come by, you know, all the communities all across the country. And then you have 
with no disparagement, but community theaters, you know, so a producer of a commercial theater production, you know, when we say they're responsible for the, the, the whole Megillah, it's, it's largely, you know, obtaining the play, the rights to do the play. You're managing the entire business of the production. So you license a play, and if it's a revival of a classic, you, I mean, you option the play. If it's a new play, it's licensing if you're mounting a classic. And then you're putting the entire creative team together, directors, designers, getting them all on board contractually and professionally, all the staff that goes with it um, to mount a show as well as, of course, being responsible for the casting. Critical to managing the business, of course, is establishing right from the get-go the budget of a show. Uh, That's largely a commercial producer's early function because with getting the budget together, you then know how much money you're going to spend. So getting the budget ties to getting the investors on board who help fund the budgeting of your show. So the producer is responsible for bringing on board the investors and then being responsible to them throughout the run of the production. You know, hopefully the show produces a profit, so money flows through the production back to the producers. And that business management goes daily, you know, from basic things like paying bills, uh, working as a liaison to all the unions, Actors' Equity, uh, the Designers' Union, the Stagehands' Union, and, and keeping all of that business structure running smoothly um, from, I would say, day one. But day one starts, in some cases, a year before you ever see a show mounted on stage. So the producer is the kingpin. It changes a little bit if you're produ- a producer within a regional theater. Um, usually then the roles may get divided up between an artistic director and a managing director. But the producer of a show is largely the one responsible. It's, he's the person or she, I, bringing in our wonderful women producers these days, where the buck stops. They're the ones who are ultimately responsible for all that happens with a the show. There, there's my nut explanation. What is something you would have done different in your career? <laughs> done differently in my career. Um, I would have been rich from the beginning. <laughs> uh, okay, I suppose that's not a, an option. Um, and that's a, that's a question. I wonder if I would have started out as a director. I love directing and I haven't directed nearly as many things as I would have liked to because I've been engaged happily, knock on wood. I, I have a wooden desk here as an actor since I was in my early 20s and I arrived in New York out of graduate school doing national tours. I didn't get my first Broadway show um, until Lion King, the original Broadway production of Lion King. That was my first Broadway show. But then it began, that went into Andy Get Your Gun for two and a half years. So once you, once you find yourself in the acting mix, happily, that sort of became my primary focus. So the few things that I directed early on, I sort of left that aside. As I said earlier, in in lieu of producing things, I was like, hmm, I'm right for Cliff and Cabaret. Well, let's produce a production of Cabaret so that I can uh, mount and produce a production of Cabaret so I can play Cliff. Um, So that became my way of working in the business, especially early on. Where it came later in my life, once I established myself as a producer, then friends and colleagues would come to me with their projects in many cases, uh, as did Holland Taylor when she was working on Anne. 
to say, hey, I'd like to hire you to be my producer and help me mount my play. So my producing in probably the last 20 years, I'd say, largely comes from my having been one for myself and then friends saying, well, can you help me produce my project? And of course, the answer is yes. So it's, it's all the same requirements, but that's how I have found myself in probably 15 or 20 of my last producing jobs is through colleagues who wanted to mount a project that they knew I could help them mount on stage. Specifically in Anne, what would you have done differently? Yeah. Um, when Holland brought the play to my partner and I, my husband, it, it, was, it was hard to know where best to mount the show the first time and what level the show should take the first time. I would say if we, if we started that process all over again, we might have out of the box done a smaller workshop of the show before we fully mounted it. We would have learned a few things along the way. We might have saved ourselves a full a few dollars and saying, yeah, we don't need to include this story, those scenic elements we don't need to spend money on. But we we had such a, an immediate positive response to doing the show. We went from the page to like, let's mount a full show. And I I typically say it's it's best if you get the show on its feet in a and a sort of skeletal realization of the show, so you're not just spending lots of money on production dollars. Um, so I think we would have done that differently, you know, if I could revisit and have hindsight 2020, you know. But that that would have been something that you know, we would have had a we would have had a first step before fully mounting the show. So you don't specifically choose the shows that you're working on. Your friends like come to you with it. Um, it's a little bit of both. My friends definitely come to me with their projects. And then I have the delicate way of saying, I don't think this project is up my alley. Uh, I, I haven't, I've been in a nice situation where I haven't had to simply take every production job that's come to me. So with that in mind, I think I take on production jobs, producing jobs that appeal to my sensitivities. Um, be they political, cultural, um, sometimes strictly for entertainment value, uh, in the case of musicals, which I love very much. Um, so, uh, so because I get to pick and choose my friends, the, they're like, they come to me and say, I think this one will interest you. And if that's the case, then I'm all in. Because you sign on for what may be a one, two, three-year journey if, you know, the progress keeps going. And uh, I, I find I don't want to simply start a project and then later find I'm not going to stick with it, you know. So I, I wouldn't want to uh, just simply start something and then, and then get away from it. Is it easier to get into producing than it is for an actor to get in a show? Uh, good question. Uh, let's see. Is it easier to get into being produced? Yes. You know, I'm going to say it's easier to be a producer. You know why? You can make your, you can set your own course. Um, if I was, uh, a, a young, a young starting out producer today, I would align myself with either an existing producer's office. Um, if I was in New York, that would be something I, I would throw myself into being an intern for one of the, the many great producing offices in New York. If I was in the regions, um, uh, in, including Indianapolis, you have a good local regional theater there, right? I, I might 
call up the artistic director or managing director and say, hey, you know what? This interests me. Can I intern for you at your theater? I want to learn what it means to be a producer. I would think that in most cases, a producing a producer or a producing entity would be thrilled to have somebody express that kind of interest and bring them on board because you can then choose to produce. Look at, I'm very impressed that you've started your own uh, podcast. What did, did any, what did that take? I mean, I, I'm going to, I, without turning the interview, me interviewing you, you basically, I assume said, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to start a podcast. I know what it takes. Producing takes getting a play. It does take having some financial backing, but it doesn't have to take a lot. I mean, you could, you know, you can produce a play in your community theater in a in a rec center very inexpensively. You know, there's the the limit to which you're producing is, you know, is only determined by like, well, I want to produce a Broadway show. Okay, now you need millions of dollars. But if you just want to produce a show within your community or for yourselves in a theater you rent, you know, you only may need a few thousand dollars, you know? So there's nothing that stops you. Being cast as an actor, however, if that if you're trying to get into someone else's shows, you have to compete against all the many other people who are competing to get into that show in your in your age and type range. You can only imagine the challenges that go with that. So I would say it's actually easier to be a producer if you have the wherewithal, like you've ex- you've already demonstrated by putting together your own podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So I know it, it's hard as an actor to get people to come based off of solely social media. Mm-hmm. So how do you get gain interest in a show? Yeah, that's from the publicity perspective. That's that it is an ever-evolving area of the business. And um, I, I made a couple notes. So if I look to my right, it's just that I, I had my little crib notes. Of like, these are the things I know to do as a, when I get into publicity. The first thing you need to do in a general perspective is to get people talking or at least listening. There's obviously the listeners who are what we would think to be the major press, your major newspapers, radio people, maybe TV if you're lucky. But for most of us, the word of mouth, of which social media, if you will, is a a form of word of mouth, how do you get people talking about your project? A podcast like this is a great way. Reach out to anyone who might be interested in the topic of the the piece you're producing or mounting. Um, With Anne, this was an easy recent one. Anne is about the wonderful, late, great governor of Texas, Anne Richards. Well, This particular year, after having first mounted the play almost 10 years ago, now 10 years ago, sorry, not almost 10 years ago, this happens to be the summer of women's right to vote, suffrage. So the play, in some sense, is more current or current in a new way now because of things that the play itself deals with. So tying into the women's movement, um, 
Uh, and the anniversary of, of suffrage right now, the women's right to vote, was an easy way for us to say, oh, let's tie in the marketing of the play to this current event. Most people don't look at the material, uh, not most, but a lot of people don't look at the actual material they're doing and say, how is this relevant today? What community group, what, what people, what, what, what area of our society would be interested in this. And I don't just mean like, oh, this is an old musical, so it'll appeal to people over 50 or 60. That's not tying in the same way. We know by nature, older people love to go to the theater. That's not, that's not new. Tying into that same demographic with something that may be of current relevance is new. Because what's new today wasn't relevant 10 years ago, perhaps. So it's like, ah, I'm now, especially, look, we have major political events happening this year. The current, the current environment um, with uh, protests in the wake of George Floyd and, and the many other um, very sad things that have happened uh, of, of late within the minority community, especially um, all that impacts Black Lives Matter. If I was producing any of those socially relevant plays right now, I would absolutely be be working to tie in the promotion of my play and, and not in a, not in an insignificant way. The point is to be significant about what you're producing. I'm producing this play because it speaks to this issue. I I actually went on and listened to a few of your podcasts. You had a wonderful podcast about, um, I, I may not get the title right, but the Alabama abortion law, uh, one of your early podcasts. It's like, okay, this is a relevant current topic. My Ann Richards play has a whole segment about how Ann Richards dealt with abortion and the right, uh, the uh, woman's right to choose. If I if I was going to target my play and say, oh, hey, this is an important issue. Where are women's groups? How do I reach out to women's groups? How do I get on their social media platforms? It all follows in that direction. See, you see how you get. That's how I would get people talking as a producer. The classic older ways still apply. You know, you need to send out a press release. You need to send that out to everyone who's talking, not just the mainstream media, but folks like you who have blogs. Because then maybe you'll invite a cast, uh, um, a designer, a director, a cast person on to talk about the play. That's how you get people talking. That's the, and it's, that's also the easiest way that doesn't impact your budget so much because a free podcast or a free social media doesn't cost any money. So that's the best way for a producer to market their play these days. One of the ways that goes tangentially with that, start a contest. Get people wanting to engage in your play. Contests are great. Sell tickets like, hey, do you have something to say about my play? Sign up here. I'll have a contest for you. You know, you can come to my play for free. Make a statement about it. Those are simple, inexpensive ways to market a play. Um. Do you have any way, any tips for me to grow my podcast audience? Well, one of the things you already asked me, I'm going to, uh, when you send me the edited link, I'm going to put it on the social media sites that my husband and I have, and we'll get it out there to our friends and say, hey, this is a great podcast by a young up-and-comer, and you need to watch this. And please, by the way, share this with all the people that we know and you know. Go support this. That's that is that is the greatest way to grow your audience. I mean, um, 
when when friends like something and they support it, then we 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 see exponentially how that expands for people. So that is that is one great way to do it. I like how you're reaching out. You know, especially in this time of the pandemic, you should shoot the moon. I mean, you're you're young, you're bright, so reach out to other good folks in the business who may want to talk to you. People with a you know what we would say are some recognizable name value. I'll, I'll try to think of some folks that I think you might want to talk to. You know, you pick the subject matter and I might be able to say to one of my more well-known acting friends, hey, I have this great guy, uh, Mason, you need to get on the podcast. So happy to lend myself, uh, lend you that connection. I've asked this to everyone and have got a lot of interesting answers. So have you relied more on education or experience? And which do you think is more important to be a producer? Yeah. Um, I certainly learned a lot on my feet. However, uh, being a parent, uh, I, I, I think the great advantage to getting at least through college, if not graduate school, but at least through college, the business isn't going anywhere. I appreciate and respect that we're all excited to, to get going and like jump into the business. But there is so much to be gained by at least making it through college. The hands-on experience you can get doing media work like you're doing. I mean, uh, if you were to go through a communications program, the hands-on experience cannot be better for you. To say nothing of what has benefited me the most after graduate school was the many wonderful relationships I, I, I sort of cultivated during that time which then led to my very first professional jobs. I, didn't, I walked out of graduate school, but I already knew a handful of directors and choreographers who were already working who gave me my first jobs professionally as soon as I got out of college. If you jump into the business as a very young person, you know, somewhere between 18 and 22, I call those the rough college years, you're going to have a lot of competition from people who are just ahead of you who have already made those relationships. So my feeling is if you can stay in the protected world of academia, you benefit yourself because you're going to continue to be, uh, you're going to continue your education and experience gathering while, you know, just having the aging process happen naturally. So, um, but there's no question, you know, I, I fell flat on my face a few great times as a producer. It's like, oh, that was a mistake. Uh, well, I won't do that again. Uh, nice job, Kev. That happens. That's okay. Those, you know, as Edison would say, those are, you know, my brilliant failures. You know, they taught me they were necessary to happen so that I learned something. So luckily no one's ever gotten hurt. <laughs> my final question is, what are you doing during quarantine? Uh, yeah. Um, I wish I could show you my favorite thing. My, uh, the, my two big dogs are under my desk here. Um, here, I, I'll, I'll flip you around. I, again, I have the advantage of living in Southern California. This is this is my hard life in quarantine in my backyard. So I I am I am blessed to be in a lovely home with a pool, uh, two wonderful dogs. My son is home from college. Uh, my husband of thirty two years is a, an active minister. I know we are blessed, and we we take no nothing for granted. You know, when I see the challenges of all my dear friends in New York to, to, to be going through this quarantine period in New York City is like nowhere else in the country. 
you're in, are you in Indianapolis proper? Um, Southern uh, Indiana. Southern Indiana. Okay. Uh, more along the border there. Uh, is that, that far south? Okay. Uh, anyway, y- you and I are not experiencing the same intense having to be indoors, I suspect. I'm just guessing what your situation must be, but you know, your, your parents may want you to stay indoors, but you can hopefully still get out into your yard and walk around a bit or skateboard or bike, whatever, whatever hobby things you might do for yourself. That's, that's, that's tricky. So to, to your point of what am I doing? A friend of mine, because we can social um, distance in my office here, um, we decided to write a play because that's something that is why not spend the time. And uh, uh, I've written a few things over the course of my career. I'm 59, but uh, it just seemed like we've got a lot of time on our hands. So we're writing this very fun. It's I'll classify it as a whodunit, but a, a, a very fun whodunit. Think think more in the lines of uh, lines of Knives Out kind of whodunit. So we're we've been applying ourselves. We've been meeting twice a week. We started at the beginning of COVID doing Zoom calls like this, and then you know as things even we felt comfortable and the weather got nicer. We said we can sit around my big picnic table, and we do. We meet twice a week now for a couple hours, and we're we're well along the course of writing our writing this play, which I will then switch from writer hat to producer hat to produce when this is all done. (laughs) That's a pretty good usage of COVID time, I think. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been my pleasure. I I look forward to hearing great things from you. Thank you. Hey, it's Into the Show Mason here. Uh, I just want to thank you for allowing me to do this podcast for now. Uh, We're almost at two months, I think. We might already be there. But um, I've filled June with all of interviews, which is amazing. So I just wanted to hop on and say thank you for that. And let's roll the outro. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theatre community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theatre professionals, search the RISE Theatre Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheatre.org. That's theatre with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.